Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the legislative hearings on Measure 110, Governor Kotek forgiving uncollected traffic fines, and the federal civil rights lawsuit filed against the city and legacy Emanuel Hospital. Joining me today on this week's News Roundup are Willamette Week's Dive podcast host and Potlander column author, Brianna Wheeler, and our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, December 8th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday News Roundup. Brianna, John, thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Of course. If you're new to the show, today is the day we break down some of the biggest local stories of the week with some of the best and brightest journalists in town, like Brianna Wheeler here. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Hi. And, and not on that list is me. <laughs> <laughs> John, you're part of the show. She's the guest. <laughs> some of the best oh and brightest journalists and John. <laughs> Did I name myself? Oh, my God. And John Atariani. John, what's up, man? <laughs> what's up, Claudia? Glad to be here. Also, before we jump into the news, I like to ask our guests an opening question just so I can personally tell the difference between John's voice and our guests. Um, are you guys ready for the opening question? Yes. I'm ready. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, so, so as we three know, Brianna has a new book out, Altogether Different. It's a wonderful and emotionally devastating memoir, <laughs> weaving in family history, identity, and the abolitionist uprising that led to the Civil War. You know, the huge. Yeah, just girly things. And it made me wonder what title we would each come up with if we were the ghostwriter for a city council member's memoir about their time working for the city. You can choose any commissioner or even the mayor. I can go first if you need some time to think. Um, so I would choose Commissioner Mingus Maps, and his memoir would be titled, That's Not What I Said. <laughs> and I think it's accurate <laughs> and provocative. And as a potential reader, it would make me want to open the book and find out what he actually said. Um, but as the ghostwriter, I know that I will never write what he actually said. So, <laughs> so I'm also going with Mingus Maps. And I, and I guarantee that my idea is dumber than yours because I was stumped by this idea. <laughs> so I went down the rabbit hole and I started looking at all the liaison responsibilities that commissioners have. You know, like we all mm -hmm. know they have bureaus, but there's also certain things that they are like the designated liaison for. And what I didn't realize is that Commissioner Maps is the liaison for Portland Mall management, which like which is like like in, in charge of the Portland Transit Mall. Oh, you know, malls, mall. yeah. that kind of mall. Okay, okay. And so, for that reason, I think that Commissioner Mapp's memoir should just be named Mall Cop. 
Just just like no subhead, just big block letters, mall cop. Oh my God. I would read that so fast. If I had no idea even who he was or where Portland was on a map. Oh, I there's going to be no photo of him. It, like, we not even have his name on it. It's just mall cop. Absolutely. That, that's my speed. That's the And the best part in. is when someone opens it up and they're like, oh, that kind of mall. And that's gonna be <laughs> even more disappointing. Womp, womp. <laughs> they're like a transit mall. Now I got to Google that. Like, all right, Brandon, oh my gosh. What, would you, what would you choose? I think that I would choose um, former councilwoman Joanne Hardesty. Mm. And I think that her book should just be called you're welcome. <laughs> and it could be like a double entendre, like, like a, like, you're welcome, fool. But also, like, it's kind of like a common joke in Portland. Like, there's no black people in Portland. Oh, my God, Portland's so white. It's only white people. But no, no, there's black people here. And guess what? You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Come through. It's 2023. Oh, I see. You're welcome. You are. Oh, my God. It took me a second. I'm sorry. These were excellent answers, you guys. All right. Well, on to the news of the week. Brianna, what do you have for us? Well, today I would love to talk to you about Nigel Jaquis's recent piece um, in the Willamette Week about Measure 110 and what is going on with Oregon legislature in the lead up to 2024. You know, we're going to be voting on big changes on Measure 110. So they're taking public comment. There was a presentation. This meeting was of the Joint Interim Committee on Addiction and Community Safety Response. That's an eight-person team, 12 if you count the staff. That's led by co-chairs, Senator Kate Lieber and Jason Kropf. So they're using this interim to gather all of the information that they can uh, for a bill that's aimed at making changes to Measure 110 uh, in next year's short session, not necessarily overturning it, but they're really trying to like formulate what the changes are that need to be made to this measure. Obviously, there's really intense public concern um, because this measure decriminalized all these illicit drugs for personal consumption um, and absolutely put the cart before the horse because drugs yeah. went decrim and there was skyrocketing usage and treatments, recovery services, elusive, non-existent, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. overcrowded. Um So what makes this most recent meeting um, most extraordinary is two things. There's the public comment, which there was a lot of hundreds, hundreds of emails. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, this presentation by Dr. Todd Corthius, who is the head of addiction medicine at OHSU. So just a few highlights from his presentation, which you can see the whole thing in Nigel Jagos's piece. There's a link to this Mm. presentation. And it's really good. It's a fun little slideshow, easy to read. So just a couple of highlights. Um, Fentanyl deaths exceeded meth deaths in 2022. Fentanyl, this is something I did not know, fentanyl is 50 times more potent than heroin. Mm. What? Wow. The disproportionate burden of overdose deaths in Oregon sees black and indigenous males dying at more than twice the rate of white men. In a Mm. survey of people who use drugs in rural counties in Oregon and nine other states, 42% were recently incarcerated in jail or in prison, and 85% of them reported opioid use, and only 18% received medication for opioid use disorder. Mm -hmm. Well, this was the low light of the presentation, is that Oregon has the fastest 
growing youth drug death rate in the United Ooh. States. Ooh. Yes. Mm. So the presentation then, it goes on to illustrate different prevention methods, education, harm reduction, medication, but it goes further, uh, calling for access to housing, safe outdoor spaces. It's kind of, it's not a roadmap to a utopia free of hard drug overdoses, but it is, the presentation could be kind of maybe looked at as a blueprint to how to get there. So this doctor was like, pro measure 110 but he's like hey this is how we make it better or was he just like measure 110 is terrible and and these are the reasons why like you know what i mean like what was his stance i'm just curious well to in my perception seemed neither pro nor against it was very much this is what we do going forward I, I, you maybe you can draw straight lines from measure 110 to a lot of the stuff that's happening and we can that can be discussed to death um, mm -hmm. and, and meanwhile, it, it, nothing happens because of that. So the, the position was very, here's where we are. Here is a very clear path forward. Here are some harm reduction methods. Here are education things that we can, gotcha. here are ways that we can, um, improve community standards to lift us out of this crisis. Yeah. I mean, and I think of this is the thing that's so hard about this moment is that like measure 110 happened. We have this crisis of rising opioid use in the region and like, there are connections there, but like it's not a one to one. And, you know, I think that in a politicized space, there's a real tendency to be like, well, we need to throw the whole thing away and go back to criminalizing everything, um, yeah. which was never what Measure 110 was like supposed to do anyways. It wasn't supposed to like end addiction. It was supposed to end no. the criminalization of people that were going through it. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People that use drugs are going to use drugs. People are always going to use drugs. As long as we're living in a capitalist hellscape and et cetera, et cetera. People are looking for an escape for this. That's not going to change. And also, we don't provide mental health services because I feel like that a lot of people self-medicate. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. When I read through the article, it made me feel bad because I, this whole time I've been like, yeah, I know we're ha we have a fentanyl crisis, but if we put it up against the national statistics, like Portland, Oregon as a whole, doesn't look too bad. We just were just like another state surviving in this fentanyl crisis. But I didn't know, of course, about the, the rising death of kids due to overdoses. And that really, I was like, oh, no, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. And the, the diagrams associated with that particular stat, it was uh, the majority of those cases were like, they're experimentation cases. These kids are not addicted to fentanyl. They're trying something for the first time. And everything is laced with fentanyl anymore. Yeah. 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 That's so messed up. Yeah. Wow. Gone are the days of buying a pill from someone in an alley. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. I would Do you so remember dead. our youth, John? No comment. Yeah. Mom. <laughs> oh, I forgot. John's mom does listen to this. Do you remember my youth, John? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Not a laughing matter. Um are there going to be more of these hearings, you know, just regular citizens coming up and, and talking about, you know, pro against or like what needs to happen? I'm just curious if it's going to be like that, a Parks and Rec thing, you know, <laughs> the TV show. I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that this last meeting on Monday, uh, the, the meeting that this um, article came out of, I think that was kind of the Parks and Rec situation because they're not going to meet okay. again until February. And honestly, February is going to be here like that. And it very well might be that kind of back and forth. But the public comment just for this meeting was uh, 
there were a lot. I mean, it's hundreds, hundreds of messages. I want to I want to I want to back that up. Um, Statesman Journal says uh, public will be able to comment in another not yet scheduled committee meeting. Gotcha. So there is going to be another committee meeting. It just hasn't been scheduled yet. Perfect. I was just curious. And also, what was the general public saying? I could jump in on that. I went down the rabbit hole, actually, of reading all the public comments. And it you was, read them all? Well, I didn't, no, I didn't read all of them. But I read, <laughs> I didn't, I mean, there were like, there were literally hundreds well, of like, them. John, you have a full-time job. What is happening? <laughs> but I did spend a while, I did spend a while picking through them. And it was interesting. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they really were all over the gamut. There were some people mm-hmm. that had had like, you know, serious personal interactions that were really negative based on, you know, situations with people who are addicted. There was this woman who had this really harrowing story of, like, accidentally getting pricked with a needle, you know, which, like, things like that happen. There's also a lot of people that are clearly just sort of, like, not happy with what addiction has done for their lifestyle, you know? Mm. Um, Several times a week, I walk to the gym in downtown Portland, and I pass people who are passed out on the sidewalks. It's Mm -hmm. like... I don't know that that is the most valuable perspective on, like, a very complex, multifaceted uh, sort of, like, epidemic of addiction. There was another Mm -hmm. person who claimed that this has killed tourism, conventions, and small businesses, which, like, okay. Uh... (laughs) I think there's something else that's happened (laughs) in the last three years that has had a much bigger impact on tourism, (laughs) conventions, and small businesses in the city. Um, But, but like, there also were some comments that were, like, really, um, like, thoughtful. Like, some people really Mm -hmm. talking about, like, um, just sort of the bigger picture of, like, evidence-based harm use reduction. Mm -hmm. There were some statements by, like, former law enforcement officers that had, like, a very level-headed, like, not just we need to, like, criminalize or decriminalize, but here's what, from my experience, is actually going to work in, like, a very measured way. So, I don't know. There's a lot of good ideas in there, if anybody has... Several Endless days time, to like read me, apparently, to read through uh, public just, comment periods. L- listeners, I just want you to know that John has also had the most intense work week. So this is kind of insane that he did extra credit homework for not his story. I was just like on fire last oh, night. Oh my God. This boy is on fire. So good, John. I love it. Oh my God. Well, thank you, John and Brianna, for this presentation. Awesome. Well, John, what was what is your story? Yeah, I, I want to talk about. Uh, I think this can go in the category of good news. Uh, Governor Tina Kotek just signed an executive order that is going to forgive unpaid traffic fees and court fines for about. 10,000 people. Uh, So 10,000 people who had had their driver's license suspended, not uh, because of, you know, traffic violation or anything. It's just like they had a fine and they didn't pay it. Um, And, you know, it sort of like is doubled back on something that's been going on for years in Oregon. Uh, The legislature passed a bill back in 2020, which basically prohibited these types of license suspensions. And then uh, Governor Brown had forgiven about 8,000 people in the same situation last year. Um, this is something that I don't quite get, but they in Kotek's statement, she said that like the names in Governor Brown's order didn't actually include all of the people who were like eligible for this. Somehow they found another 10,000 people on top of the 8,000 people that had already been put on this list. Um, question marks there. 
I don't know how that works. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, at the end of the day, yes, all these people who, like, had had their license suspended just because they couldn't afford to pay the fines uh, are going to be able to drive again, which I think is a, That's awesome. a good thing. That's a Christmas miracle for those stuck in, in that oh, poverty loop, yeah. you know? Yeah. Especially because so many people need their car to get to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just okay. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna <laughs> like. Mm. So here's what's wrong with U.S. capitalism. <laughs> it punishes the poor. I know people know this, but it's been proven time and time again that like the poorest of us are the poorest because of systemic racism, um, and that also adversely like it affects white people. And I feel like white people don't get that because these are like colorblind barriers that were set so like quote unquote poor people couldn't rise up. And for the creators of this system, that meant slaves and people of color. But like, guess what? In late stage capitalism, that's all of us. Like, yeah. that's if you're broke, you're broke. And now mm -hmm. the shit that was supposed to like easily put a black person in jail or like make life difficult for them is now creeping up on everyone else. And like, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna hit like, this is America. <laughs> Don't catch you slipping on. <laughs> but no, but it's true. I'm, I'm off my soapbox. Go on. Would, would you like some really gnarly statistics to prop up your soapbox, Claudia? Oh, you know I do. <laughs> so, so this whole concept is called debt-based license suspensions. And I found this report from the ACLU in 2021 sort of looking into it. Here's some numbers to make your hair go on fire. They estimate that there's 11 million people who are not allowed to drive in America because they can't afford to pay these fines and fees. Um, the original amounts of those fines range from 30 to $800. After all the additional late fees and everything, these people owe an average of two hundred to nine thousand dollars. From three hundred to eight hundred up to Jesus nine thousand dollars. And and they said they did a bunch of interviews to talk to people who'd been through this. And they said every single person that they interviewed found that the penalty of having their driver's license suspended made it more difficult for them to comply because it created mm -hmm. obstacles to them getting to work. Or like mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's the loop. <clears throat> That's, That's the loop. The loop. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love to see both sides of the coin. Here's the like, oh, no, if, you know, if all debt forgiveness for parking tickets, for violations, all that stuff. Oh, do you, John? Yes. No, 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 yes, your point. I've, I've, I've got stuff to say about parking tickets. But okay. <laughs> well, if that were to go by the wayside, um, then children like me growing up would then have to be told a different lie as to why their uncle was in jail. Because it was always like, oh, parking tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Is that is that your like other side of a coin? Yeah, that was my other side. <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> you know, this stuff being real with children. That was that was such an unexpected twist. Sorry. Okay, go on. Yes, yes, John. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to point out. Uh, shout out to OPB uh, who did a lot of the reporting that I'm sort of basing this on, and like also shout out to OPB for this correction. Uh, they said that their story had been updated to reflect that unpaid parking tickets are not traffic fees and mm -hmm. not included in the governor's order. Mm. And I was like, wait, what does that mean? <sighs> so turns out you can't lose your license over parking tickets. You can uh, have your wages garnished. You can have your <gasps> car booted. But you go to jail. That's what I, 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 that's what I heard. No, not for parking tickets. For for, <laughs> okay. for moving violations, but not for parking tickets. So oh. if you if you're sitting on a pile of parking tickets, like bad things will happen to you, but they're not going to take your license. 
I wish that's they my had public Google. service announcement of the day. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John. I wish I had Google in the early 90s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just going to boot your car. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand? Like, I pay my parking tickets like that because I just thought they would throw your ass in jail. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what they I want you know. to think. <laughs> I know. It's like my mom made the most compliant person ever. <laughs> I never lost my license, but I did lose two different cars to parking tickets. Oof. Um just excessive parking tickets. They One of them got towed, one of them got booted, and then got towed eventually. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't do anything once it was booted. What am I going to do? I don't have all this money. Anyway, mm-hmm. I get the. I was very much stuck in that loop. So um, beautiful thing that the governor did. Thank you. Yeah. But also yeah. fucking the parking ticket thing, like abolish parking, abolish cars, abolish roads. The city is so perfectly <laughs> situated to work without cars. Why are we fucking with ourselves like this? Oh, huh. The one thing I will say, if you think you might be in this situation, uh, there are resources online that you can check out and you can figure out if you are eligible for this amnesty. So we'll have that link in the show notes. Yeah. The Oregon Department of, of, of Motor Vehicles has that web webpage, right? Explaining how to apply for debt forgiveness. Is yeah. that, is that it's, what you It's very cute. It's DMV to you with a T. Oh, it's really cute. Oh, like two. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more news of the week. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so my headline this week comes from Maxine Bernstein of um, The Oregonian. She's following this federal civil rights lawsuit filed by 26 black descendants of families whose homes were torn down by the city way back in the, like the 60s and the 70s to make way for the Legacy Emanuel Hospital. And this not only destroyed a historically black neighborhood in the Albina district, it robbed a lot of black Portlanders of generational wealth and financial stability. And for months, attorneys for, you know, Legacy Emanuel and, and the city urged the judge to just throw out the suit. They're just like, yo, so long ago. Like, and look at us. How can we be racist? We have land acknowledgments on all of our city websites. What? (laughs) What? What? We? Me? Racist? Like, that was it. And honestly, it didn't look like the defendants were going to get anywhere because, you know, usually that doesn't happen. But... Late last week, a U.S. district judge wrote a 27-page opinion ruling that each of the descendants' claims can move forward. And this was huge because this judge is a 67-year-old, like, white man. (laughs) That was like, yo, this shit, this whole shit seems like it was racially motivated. This is his quote. Everything down to the language used in justifying the raising of this neighborhood. And once again, I uh, summon the surprise Pikachu face uh, for the city of Portland. <laughs> I mean, like, every other week, it's just, they're always like, what? what? <laughs> they were 
not thinking this was going to be a thing because they argued that the, the families suing are not even the homeowners who were directly impacted. And the suit was like filed far beyond the two year or six year statute of limitations. And, mm-hmm. you know, but a, a federal judge finally called foul on everything mm. that happened. Thoughts? Ugh, freaking finally. I mean, gosh. Yeah. I mean, shout out U.S. District Judge Michael H. Simon, um, because, you know, judges can cut things all sorts of ways. I think that he could have very much just written a procedural sort of like this case has standing. But he but he went that extra step and he did like say very explicitly in his judgment, like, no, like this has real worth on the merits that this can be read as racially coded language, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that. I just don't do that all the time, you know? Like, he yeah. doesn't have to do that. And I think it is I think it is a really good step to that, like, these sorts of things are being said out in public in legal settings and being used as standing for lawsuits. I think it's the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to quickly say, because, yeah, exactly what you said, John, but he actually pointed out some of this racially coded language. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was just so apparent. Can I, can I, can I give you one phrase? Undesirable encroachments. It's just like, (laughs) yeah. Okay, so he basically noted this judge that Emmanuel commissioned a report that justified the taking of surrounding properties because here's the thing: they didn't just take the land that the hospital was going to be built on. They took everything around it because they didn't even want any any black people around them. And they were just like, so we're justified in taking this because the surrounding properties to protect itself against undesirable encroachments. but here's the deal. If you were to drive right now uh, to like North Russell Street and Williams Avenue, mm-hmm. you're going to see a vacant plot of land. Yep. Yep. Meaning they just wanted that neighborhood gone. And yeah. you can go to that intersection, see that waste of land today. Like they did nothing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that was also brought in. Like the judge was like, this is like, like, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, uh, the suit uh, alleges that the hospital conspired with the city and what was then the PDC or the you know Portland Development Commission is now called Prosper Portland. Mm. Nice little brand change uh, mm. to destroy this black community and displace hundreds of families from their homes under the guise of, quote unquote, urban renewal. And I have a friend who grew up in the days of Vanport, like old school Portlander. And uh, I don't know if you don't know what Vanport is. That's another lawsuit waiting to happen. And also, fun fact, he was also a member of the 1972 Jefferson High School basketball team uh, in Portland, which was the first all black team to win Oregon State Championship. Anyhow, um, he would he would always refer to urban renewal as Negro removal. Mm. And I was just like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Not not hyperbole. No, no. And uh, here's the deal is that black Portlanders have been saying this for years. Like this was planned. This was this is not like a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. It's calculated how they were going to erase this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just ready for other Portland racist conspiracy theories to be proven true. Like, let's go. Let's yeah, open yeah. it up. Yeah, let's do this. Do you guys think that this will set that type of precedent that's going to, like, open the floodgates to these kind of lawsuits? Is that the hope? I, I hope. Well, I mean, in, in the article, it said that the judge cited the 2003 lawsuit stemming from the 1921 Tulsa race riot, right? You know? So there was a lawsuit in 2003 yeah. that he's citing as precedent. Like, mm. yeah, I can only imagine that these things continue to grow as, like, mm-hmm. cases of precedent for future lawsuits. Yeah, it was, uh, what was it, 82 years between yeah. the lawsuit and, and, and that's still mm-hmm. 
th- that went through. But like 100 and 300 people were killed. But I also love that number. They're like, I don't know, between one and 300. I'm like, that's a big jump, though. That's, that's, that's a, a big jump. That's a lot of people. That's a big jump. Well, um, Claudia, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that Maxine Bernstein wrote in her article that um, this is sort of building on new research that has been done in recent years about like what actually went down. And it cited this report from Portland State University grad students in 2021 called Reclamation Towards the Futurity of Central Albino, which like really looks at this in depth. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of things it, it, it cites. If the displaced residents own their homes in central Albina today, they would likely control over $100 million in residential yeah, right. property wealth. And it draws a difference between what they call curable versus incurable losses, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can give somebody money, you know, but, like, it talks about all these incurable losses, like the loss of collective strength resulting from the fragmentation of the community, the loss of mm-hmm. cultural and social identity, um, and says that, like, these are things that we should be be considering in these types of situations as well. Um, and this is real. These are real things. It's not just like, you know, hugs and kisses yeah. uh, for a human. Like this is like what creates a, a healthy person. Like whenever you, you hear about like depression or mental health or whatever, they're always just like, find a community, you know, find support. <laughs> a healthy like, person, a healthy yeah. neighborhood, a healthy yeah. city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. John. Oh, John. Mm. Dang. <laughs> did his work. He went out <laughs> and read stuff. Well, now I guess we're just in, in that pattern of waiting for what comes next. Yeah. Um, and I hope that it gets resolved quickly. I hope that like the city of Portland and and Emmanuel don't just keep throwing stuff in. You know what I mean? Because that, yeah, that yeah. could very easily be what happens next. It's just a bunch of wrenches until they're forced to pay something. Well, that's all I got. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Hey, Claudia, nice roundup. Thank you. Nice roundup, Claudia. <laughs> Great job. Great job, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Welcome. As always, it's it's a pleasure to host you two. Uh, two of the brightest and best journalists in town. And John. I said two. <laughs> two. I said two. <laughs> Thanks, Claudia. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. Our executive producer is John Atariani. Our producers this week were Julia Fiaioni, Lizzie Goldsmith, Noah Snyderman, and Natalie Rivera. Special shout out to Natalie Rivera for not only coming in clutch this week, but also last week. Our newsletter editors were Rachel Monahan, John Atariani, Brian Vance, and Adrian Gonzalez. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and all the kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.